along with Mr. T and Mike Mike. We're here until 3 p.m. Oh, I love a Sunday like this. First of all, weather's great outside. So whether you're listening to us, whether you're washing your car, getting some of that, that winter snow and slush and gunk off your car, whether you're starting to fool around in the lawn a little bit, whatever you're trying to do, thanks for allowing us to be a part of your Sunday. A little later in the show, we'll be joined by Chris Canty. He'll break down the uh, NFL free agency. And I got to tell you, if, if you were to say to me, Larry, Kenny Galladay is a lock to go to a New York team. I would have said Jets. Ty Butler would have said Jets. Mike would have said, Ty, you're crazy. And Mike would have been right because he goes to the Giants. Everywhere we look on ESPN, on .com, everywhere, analysts, folks on and off the record around the league shocked at Kenny Galladay ending up with the Giants because, I mean, listen, the Giants had how much? Very little salary cap space. That's what we were told. They restructured this. They borrowed money from here. They moved money over there. They switched here. They did all those different things. And they find a way to land, according to Shefty, a four-year, $72 million deal. Galladay to the Giants, $40 million guaranteed. With Galladay and Saquon Barkley, and, of course, a couple of other additions that the Giants can still make through the draft, they should be a much better offense than they were last year. And this means that you will have a true decision on Daniel Jones this season. You can't say that Evan Ingram dropped all the footballs and that hurt him. You can't, stay, you can't say Sterling Shepard was in and out of the lineup and that hurt him. You can't say any of those things. You will have a primetime receiver, in, Kelly, in Kenny Galladay, look, I know he only played five games last year because of injury. But go back to 2019, right? 11 touchdowns, 69 receptions for almost 1,200 yards. I mean, and if Darius Slayton comes back and gives you what he gave you in 2019, this could be a little different offense than you're looking at. And with more offensive explosion, now this makes your defense, which showed you some signs last year with what Leonard Williams was able to do and, and how they were able to put pressure on that front. The linebacking core was improved. This could be a little different Giants team. So I'm curious about that. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. We'll talk about that with uh, Chris Canty. And, of course, you can weigh in at 1-800-919-3776. We will give you throughout the day because this is NCAA madness. This is March madness. So we'll have constant scoreboard updates for you. So if you're out listening, if you want to find out what's going on, stay with us. We got it with you. And so far, here's the positives of March Madness, right? Because what you're interested in, what's the biggest part of March Madness? It's the upsets. That's what you want to see. That's what you long for. That's what jumps out at the table at you. It's upsets. Now, I know. No Kentucky, no Duke, out of it. North Carolina, out of it. Georgetown was in it, lost yesterday. They had an upset, but it's the upsets. Yesterday, 7-10. We'll talk about that in a second. Yesterday, Abilene Christian, Texas, North Texas, Texas, done. Number 14, Abilene Christian beats Texas. And here's what happened. You look at that game. Texas had Texas with their three guard offense 
had an early lead in that game. They started to go back and forth with Abilene Christian, and I'm telling you, it's just like I don't care whether it's NBA. I don't care whether it's uh, NCAA. I don't care whether it's on the park. If you're better than your opponent, you have to put them away early because if you give them a way in, they will take advantage of it and they will make it a contest. And that's what Abilene Christian did yesterday. Number 13, Ohio defeated Virginia 62-58. By the way, guys, remind me, don't mention that to Chris when he comes on later because he might snap my head off. So we won't we'll mention that to Chris Canty a little bit later. And 7-10, Maryland beat UConn 63-54. So those were, those were the exciting moments, right? And today, we've got some more exciting moments. Syracuse is in action. Also, Rutgers. Hey, Chris Carlin will be on the call on the Rutgers Radio Network. Chris Carlin, happy. And this, you know what, having done some work in, in News 12 New Jersey in my career and been involved a little bit and talked to a number of the folks at the Rutgers program, I mean, I covered uh, for, that, it, for that venue, for News 12 New Jersey, covered Rutgers football uh, for a while. And so you get to know some of the folks in, in the, you know, in, in the in administration and whatnot. And th- I feel really good for those folks. Football's coming back, you know. Greg Ciano's there. I was there when Greg was there the first time. Ciano chopping wood. Football's coming back. Basketball's coming back. This is going to be nice. Rutgers has had some lean time, so I'm happy for them and the folks down there. So they're in the tournament today. Here's some of the negatives, NCAA. First of all, yesterday's game. And it's funny. Gordon Damer and I on ESPN New York tonight, Monday through Fridays from 10 p.m. here on 98.7, selfish plug. We were talking about what was going to be, what could happen. How was the NCAA going to deal with or deal with the fact that suppose a number one seed got into this situation. Unfortunately, that happened with Oregon and VCU where the Rams had multiple COVID tests within their program, positive COVID tests within their program after they got to the bubble. Remember, you couldn't get to the bubble unless you had consecutive days of testing negative for COVID. You couldn't get to the bubble. All right? So the fact that they got something happen once they got there is a concern. And so yesterday, no contest cleared. So VCU's out, Oregon advances, and they will move on. But what happens if that was, God help us, a number one seed in that situation? That would be scary. That would be scary. The other incident that the NCAA has got to be embarrassed about, and I know you saw it all weekend, and I'm and they've done something about it. It's much better, but it still needs to be addressed further so you don't have this situation. And that is the weight rooms. How many of you saw that? It was stunning. You saw what the men's weight rooms look like, and you saw what the women's weight rooms look like, both for March Madness. And it was, they weren't even, they were dumbbells in the women's weight room. I mean, come on, guys. I mean, come on. I mean, and it's easy to jump on them. And they, listen, they acknowledged it. They took the L. They did what they needed to do to get it better. But here's the thing. You can't wait this long. You knew. You had to know that that wasn't the right equipment. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that, that, that ladies needed more than that to strength train in their weight room. 
I mean, this is the NCAA. With all the money that goes in, the, all the money they make, that's it. That's that's the best they could do. It was shameful. The ladies start today. We'll give you a couple of scores with them as well. During our hoop updates, we got a bunch of them, at least one every hour. And, of course, we'll jump in every time and give you uh, an idea of what's happening. Also, we'll be talking about some NBA action. Knicks and Nets are back in action tonight. The Knicks will have Mitchell Robinson back. Uh, he missed 15 games with a broken right hand. Uh, it, it is it is interesting to see what his how much he's going to play, what he looks like. He spoke to the media this morning and said by sitting and watching, he learned a lot. So I'm interested to see what he's going to bring to the table now that he has sat down and had a chance to sit back and look and see how Tom Thibodeau likes his op- his offense and defense run to see how really Nolan's Noel played extremely well during his absence. And you kind of got the feeling, if you're a Knicks fan, that Thibodeau leans a little bit more towards Noel than he did towards Mitchell Robinson. But obviously he would love to have both shot blockers in there because it, it, it magnifies the identity of this team, which is some defense. As far as the Nets are concerned, it looks as though that Blake Griffin will make his debut tonight against Washington. And obviously, everybody wondering what is Blake Griffin going to be able to bring to the table with this Nets team. Obviously, he's got some sides which they could use. Obviously, there is some some athleticism left as far as he is concerned. (laughs) Some athleticism left, and we joke. Uh, But, you know, once again, the Nets are trying to add depth to their team. The last game they lost to Orlando, uh, Kyrie Irving, phenomenal game, 43 points, but Orlando found a way to win. And I think Orlando, listen, Orlando almost beat the Knicks. So they were desperate. They they really came out there making sure that they were going to uh, end their losing streak. All right? They, they were done. So they did what they could, ran into an undermanned Nets team, and the Nets lost. But the Nets will have uh, Washington tonight. And we're a couple of days away from the trade deadline and some speculation. Are the Knicks uh, going to be making a move? You know, uh, we keep hearing Oladipo's name mentioned again. We keep hearing uh, Alonzo Ball's name mentioned again as far as the Knicks are concerned. So, uh, will th- and that, of course, is the discussion, right? Should they make a move or should they stand pat? Should they make a major move based on where they are? And we know that they desperately need some offense on that team. They desperately do. Uh, they need some more people. You saw them. No Emmanuel quickly, no Derrick Rose, no Alfred Payton. A lot of struggling scoring <laughs> with that team because they're not deep. They do it with grit, determination, and a lot of defense. And so you give them credit for what they do. And, and, and they understand they have a very slim, very slim margin for error. All right? And when they, when they don't put the ball in the basket, they're in trouble. You are listening to Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Got a lot for you to uh, talk about today. You can talk about NFL free agency. You can talk about the Knicks. You can talk about the NCAA tournament. You can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Let's see what Spike is talking about from his new location. Hey, Spike, welcome. I got a loudspeaker on top of the car. We're bringing Larry Hardesty from Jacksonville to St. Pete. Outstanding. How you doing? How was the move? Um, Well, so far, so good. We're in Jacksonville. We're two hours away from St. Pete, and uh, I have to figure out, do I call in uh, as a spike from St. Pete, Jersey, or just keep it Jersey? 
Well, anyway, it's good. You're going to keep us company right into our new home, and can't That's ask true. for better. Can't ask. So I got Susan driving. And Hi, Susan. It's been good so far. Been good so far. Real happy. Going to get home and hook up the uh, hook up something to watch the Nick game tonight and watch mm-hmm. some college games. So I can't yeah. beat that. But I miss you already. You know how it is. But I got you. So it's a good good stuff. Uh, Absolutely. A couple of quick comments on the NCAA. Embarrassment mm-hmm. what they did with the weights. Total embarrassment. Ridiculous. And the COVID, uh, what, VCU had a forfeit day game? Yes. Yes. So VCU and Oregon, they gave, there was a no decision officially because VCU couldn't get enough players to perform. So Oregon moves on. So Oregon moves on. So let's hope and pray. Uh, I don't know how you feel with the shot and everything, but down here, you know, we've been traveling, you know, since yesterday morning and, uh, they employ the uh, mask rule when you go into a place, but uh, some people don't wear them. It's, it's crazy. But anyway, listen, I'll keep it real brief and mm-hmm. send my best uh, to everybody. I'll stay in touch with you. The hours will be a little crazy and uh, appreciate everything you've done. Uh, it's great to have you. You know how I feel about you and Gordon and everyone at the station for my next two and a half hours to my new digs. I can't beat that. My wife sends her best, and I'm going to listen to you now. All right, great. Give give her our best as well, Spike. Thanks for checking in. 1-800-919-3776. I tell you, and Ty, I got to ask you, because when we talk about NBA and we talk about all the best records, and, we, and obviously here with Brooklyn, everybody's looking towards, okay, when, when the big three finally get on the court together, they've played maybe a handful of games together. But when the big three get on the court together, and, and it's, it's, it's Kyrie, it's Harden, it's Durant, the only team that could do anything with them is going to be is going to be Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and the defending world champion Los Angeles Lakers. And so last night we find out, or a couple, I think it was last night, that uh, LeBron hurts his ankle against Atlanta. He's out indefinitely. And you, who is a, a, a stalwart on the NBA, but a, but a Lakers aficionado, uh, what is this? Is this a, let me ask it this way. Is this a blessing in disguise for the Lakers that some of the younger players, some of the guys on the bench are going to have to find their game? Because all you need to do is tread water, right, until LeBron gets back and Anthony Davis will be back probably towards the end of the season. I think for the Lakers, it it can be a blessing in disguise just because, as you mentioned, they're the defending champions. They've got two of the top seven players in the league. We saw them last year not need home court to win the title, so I don't think that's a concern. But I'm I'm gonna be honest, Larry. I I wasn't watching the game when it happened. I was like going back and forth between like the, the college hoops and the NBA. When I saw that LeBron was hurt, I was so surprised. Like we're so conditioned to to think that he's indestructible. He just simply doesn't succumb to any injury. Mm-hmm. So to see him go down there and Kyle Kuzma after the game said like he heard LeBron screaming. It was the first time he had ever heard him scream that loud uh, because of an injury. Um, but as far as a blessing in the skies, maybe because you get Kuzma and Schroeder and, and Harrell and all these guys that now have to up their level of play. But you, you just hope that they can come back 100%. Like Anthony Davis has the calf strain that's connected to an Achilles, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, so you just you just hope and pray that he doesn't re-aggravate it or it doesn't become something serious. And with LeBron... Um, him getting a couple of weeks off could be good. A quick turnaround. Like, they won yeah. the championship four or yeah. five months ago. 
and now that you're you're halfway through the season. So you know maybe in that sense it's a, it's a little bit of a blessing in disguise. And, and I tell you, there was a lot of conversation about that, right? That yeah. you know they were going to have the folks that went deep into the tournament was going to have some issues. You look at Denver. They got off to the slow start going deep into the tournament. You look at what happened with the Lakers, uh, Anthony Davis with the injury. And Miami. Now, you know, now LeBron, right? So, you know, uh, going deep in that quick turnaround, that was a concern. But, uh, you know, listen, fortunately, they're a deep team. They've got a lot of talent. And uh, I think they'll be okay. It's always good when you have a chance for your secondary players to gain experience and to have a chance to play meaningful minutes because in the postseason, foul situations happen. You never know Man. when you're going to need to have some guys from your bench. And from a coaching standpoint, now you're confident in them because you've seen what they can do. This is, But I agree with you. This is a it's, big moment for Kyle. It's unfortunate because they've been playing so well, and LeBron has made it clear that the winning the MVP does mean something to him. Oh, I'm sure it does. Hasn't won since 13. Uh, we've we, He's heard the noise about... In, in seasons, Curry being a better player, Giannis being a better player, Durant being a better player, Harden being a better player. They've all won MVP since he last won in, in 13. Now this pretty much disqualifies him. You, you can't miss 10 games on the year and, and be the MVP. So maybe Harden opens up for Harden or Jokic yeah. or, you know, or Giannis again. But yeah. it, it does suck from that standpoint. I'm Harden's not doing well today, Larry. Harden's had an MVP season. He is. He, he's had an MVP type season. He but, really has. He's you, changed his game. You, you know, we have been. We yes. have killed him. <laughs> I remember being, those nights, man. For <laughs> Me, you, human, and Allen. <laughs> yeah, for being the human, you know, ball stopper. <laughs> dribble, uh, dribble, dribble <laughs> for 23 <yeah>. seconds. <laughs> but once again, and this is, listen, and I will acknowledge and acknowledge then, he is a phenomenal player, phenomenal talent, phenomenal scorer. But still, I got to see what he does in the playoffs. Yeah. I, it's unfair, but I got to see what he does in the playoffs. And it just I wasn't just have fun to. to watch. Like no, he put no. up numbers, but it was it was just boring to see him dribble for 23 seconds and then hoist up threes and kick his leg out and go to the free throw line 17 times a game. But, yeah, and you got to see it in the playoffs. He's in a different situation, though. Like he, he is, doesn't yeah. have to carry a team. Right. He doesn't have to be the number one option. So there's inherently less pressure on him this year than, than, than it was last year with Houston. Uh, and it really makes you look at Mike D'Antoni a little bit differently, right? Yeah. Because if, if that was the offense that D'Antoni was telling him to run and you see him doing what he's doing here, I mean, that, that you got to look at D'Antoni a little bit differently with his eight-second offense that he <laughs> threw out the window <laughs> when he landed in Houston. Seven seconds or less, and then you go to Houston. It's like, all right, yeah, you can dribble for 35 two, seconds. Yeah, or, or more. <laughs> <laughs> you are listening to Larry Hardesty. On 98.7 ESPN. So I'm kind of torn, guys. I'll get to your calls in a minute. I'm kind of torn because I'm, I'm looking at these rumors on Oladipo and how Houston really wants to unload him and that the Knicks are obviously, as we mentioned earlier, one of the prime spots where he could move because Houston says they, they want a first-round pick. They would like to get a first-round pick. And the Knicks, of course, have a pair of them. Now, I don't know that I want to give up a first-round pick for Oladipo, like I'm saying, because I could sign him at the end of the year. But how is, according to published reports, how is Detroit in the running for Oladipo? Like, why would they, why would they trade for Victor Oladipo? Do they think they're going to make a late playoff push <laughs> in the East? Are they trying to get that number 10 spot? 
if they were trying to get that 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 ten play in spot, then they should have kept Blake Griffin and and um, Andre Drummond. Why why would they want to do? And and guess what? You know he's not going to stay. Okay, if I'm Victor Oladipo, and I'm struggling with Houston, who's lost a, a, a Baker's do- more than a Baker's dozen in a row. Okay, why would I go from that issue to the issue in Detroit and then as a free agent sign back in Detroit? Why would I do that? So if you're Detroit, you have to know that he's not staying. He's a free agent at the end of the year. Okay, if you want him, sign him at the end of the year. Why would you trade for him? I I just don't get it. Now, from the Knicks standpoint, okay, He's not a point guard. He's a he's a more consistent scorer. I get it. He's a guy that could start, I guess. Um, but you're, you're going to start him at the point. You're going to start him at the point, right? Then what are you doing with Alfred Payton? What are you doing with I mean, quickly, I know he's coming off the bench. I mean, if you do that, if I'm going to make a move in the backcourt for the Knicks, if I'm going to make a move in the backcourt and it's not a point guard, then I want a three-point marksman. That's what I want. Because I think with between Derrick Rose and uh, Quickly and Peyton, uh, you know, if he finished if he finished better <laughs> at the basket, I can get scoring from my backcourt from that trio. Okay, I can get enough scoring. What I need is somebody to direct the offense better. I mean, Peyton does a a decent job at it, but I need a next step above him. I need a starting point guard. Peyton is a very good, he's a very serviceable point guard. Does a nice job distributing the basketball. Like I said, my issue with him is his, his inconsistency finishing at the basket. And his jump shot is very inconsistent. So I need a point guard who can shoot the basketball and distribute the basketball and finish at the hoop. That's what I need. That's what I'm looking for from the Knicks. Okay? So if if I'm not getting that, then I'm, Victor Oladipo is a nice piece, but I, I you know, I, I've, I've got maybe not as consistent a scorer, but I've got versions of him already on my on my on my team. Like I said, in quickly, who who I think is going to continue to improve. Shot selection getting a little crazy sometimes. So I need him to rein him in with that shot selection. But once again, you have to live with it because he he does a nice job hitting. He he, he could hit the basket. So you kind of you know you kind of ride with him a little bit more than you would normally do, where you would sit him and say, "Man, come on, sit." The other issue I have with the Knicks right now. And I'm a little concerned. I'm not ready to give up on him. That's not what I'm saying. And and I know that the game will eventually slow down and he'll be okay. But I'm a little concerned about Obi Toppin. And the reason why I'm concerned about Obi Toppin is because I'm not seeing... I'm not seeing where he strings some positive plays together. You guys understand what I'm saying? I I don't see him being aggressive and confident and sure enough in his offensive abilities 
that he could put some points on the bat in the basket. It doesn't. There doesn't seem to be a spot on the floor, and I'm talking offensively now. There doesn't seem to be a spot on the floor offensively where he's comfortable and confident that if he could get the ball there, he could get points consistently. And I understand the slow start with the injury set him back. I get it. I understand the lack of practice time that you have in the NBA as opposed to college. I understand it. And I even understand the fact that he's used to playing so many more minutes where you get a chance to get your rhythm and get pace of the game and, you know, you're able to feel your way. You're able to find spots where you can pick your game. I understand all that. I do. But I'm not seeing, even with the minutes that he's getting, I'm not seeing where he's able to find a niche for himself. Even if it was a guy who's determined that, let's go on the other side of the basketball, right? Even if it was a guy who's determined that every time I'm in, I'm getting every single rebound there is. That's it. I'm, I'm the rebounding guy. You have to keep me. I, I don't see that he's able to make a solid contribution consistently with this Nick team. Now, earlier, I thought it was the fact that he came in with quickly and quickly was the guy that was handling the basketball. Excuse me. And because of that situation, with him being the guy that's handling the basketball and he was taking so many shots, quickly that, that, that Toppin was finding, it was finding it hard where he could find the spot where he could get. And so he's so into, all right, let's keep the ball moving. Let me set my pick. Let me move. But I need him to be... I think I need him to be a bit more aggressive at the basket. The other thing that I understand from Obi Toppin is that he is to the point now that every time he steps on the court and he makes a mistake, he's looking to the bench because he, first of all, he hears his name called (laughs) by, by Tom Thibodeau constantly when he's in the game. Obi, Obi, Obi. You hear, you hear, I mean, you hear it on TV, you hear it on the radio. You hear it all the time. All right, so so I know that that's a thing too because he's not used to that. That's that's not he's he's a this was the player of the year last year in the NCAA. So clearly he's not used to hearing that. All right, so it's just it, it's been an issue for him to find himself. So I'm not giving up on him, and don't mistake what I'm saying. I don't want you to say Larry. Well, you know, I mean, he's only played one year. He's young. He's this. That. I got it. All I'm saying is this is what I'm looking for to give me an indication that better things are coming. I know better things are coming, but I I just need him to find a niche for himself, right? A spot on the floor where if he can get the ball there, he knows he can put the ball in the basket. You look at the situation the Knicks were in in their last game, okay? They had no Rose, no Peyton, no Quickly, no Mitchell Robinson. And they were begging to try to find scoring from somebody. And, you know, Burks was great. A couple other players stepped up. Uh, R.J. Barrett was, was very good in that game. Outstanding. And that was a game where you needed some scoring from another person other than Julius Randle, who's been a rock this season. And that was the kind of game like when you – that was the game where he could have shown what he could do. I mean, either eight or ten points in that game would have been huge. It would have been huge. And it would have done wonders for his confidence. So I'm just waiting to see where he can string some minutes together 
okay, especially with the bench being short and you needing scoring because once quickly moved to the starting lineup, the bench was barren. Hey, March 24th is the date. That's when the Nest, the Yes Network will have its 98.7 ESPN Afternoon Drive simulcast team of Michael K, Don LaGreca, and Peter Rosenberg call at least two innings of action. Yeah, when the Yankees play the Toronto Blue Jays in an afternoon spring training game from Steinbrenner Field in Tampa. To make this all possible, you, the loyal 98.7 ESPN listeners, have helped raise over $20,000 to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. $20,000. So thank you all our listeners, for making this happen. To find out how you can help, go to bit.ly slash K Spring Training. Bit.ly slash K Spring Training. You are listening to Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Let's go to Florida and talk to Ralph. Ralph, you're next on 98.7. Hey, what's going on? How you been? How's everything? I'm doing great, Ralph. What's up, my friend? Now, a question. Like, I know you, you, you keep saying the Obi topic thing. My thing is two things. One, you made a perfect example of what your own answer is, is why he's struggling. If a player is scared to come out of a game if he makes one mistake, you know you're not getting the full full game from him. He's playing on, on, on eggshells. You can't play like that in the NBA. You have to play loose and not worry about anything. And two, the reason I say that Obi should be getting more minutes, you're killing Randall. You're, you're coaching every game like it's game seven. There's games that we're up by 20 in the fourth quarter with like six minutes left, and he's still playing Randall all the way to the two-minute mark. And then you put OB in. So at the end of the time, Randall's, you know, doing a great job this year. By all means, to me, he's not the guy. He's maybe the third wheel on a, on a three-team, on a three-player team. But at the end of the day, if we, why did we draft OB for that? Why? What was the reason for if you're not going to put him on the floor, he's going to make mistakes. He's a rookie. He's going to make mistakes. You don't pull Quigley when he's missing shots or take or make bad passes or misses a defensive family. You don't pull him. You let him play. That's why he feels so comfortable on the court. Am I wrong? You're not wrong, Ralph. You're absolutely right. Thanks for the phone call. The issue is, though, that on those minutes, yeah, you understand that Quigley is going to, as quickly makes mistakes and does have and does put up bad shots and has turnovers and has lapses on defense. But he has shown you in big minutes that he has earned the extra time to be on the court with making shots and doing the little things. And unfortunately for Obi, he has not, in Tom Thibodeau's mind, done enough that he can give him more minutes. And I think he would give him more minutes if he would see something that would give him more encouragement. Like I said, even if he's not scoring, you give me some rebounds, you give me some good defense, you stay on the floor, you get a layup or two, he's going to play more minutes. That, that's, that's my thought process. As far as your line, your, your, your comment about um, uh, uh, Julius Randle, listen, that's Tom Thibodeau. And that's why Julius Randle, when he found out Tom Thibodeau was going to be the coach, he went into overdrive as far as preparing his body and his mind for, for long minutes because, Ralph, you are 1,000% right. That is what Tom Thibodeau does. He runs players hard. They play a lot of minutes, a lot of minutes. And that's why I think it's incumbent upon Obi Toppin as he gets works and gets what he can do, gets more comfortable offensively with a, a position where he can get to on the floor to get a shot or two. I think especially in back-to-back situations, when you go to him in those moments, he's got to give you something. 
even if he gives you hard minutes of a couple of rebounds or something that earn second chances, pass the ball back out. Whatever you can do to stay on the floor, that's got to be his mindset. Yeah, he know he's going to make mistakes. Yeah, he just have to go out there. Look, I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm going to play as hard as I can. And he does play hard. I don't know that he plays smart all the time. And that's something that will come. But that's, that's just the concern I have is that I'm looking for him to give me minutes, even in consecutive games. I'll take him. I'll take him giving me two points and 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 four rebounds in the limited role. And the next game, you come back and you give me maybe a couple more points, a couple more rebounds. I'll take that. That's what I'm looking for. I haven't given up on him yet, though, Ralph. I haven't. Charlie's in the car. Hey, Charlie, you're next on 98.7. How you doing, Larry? All right, Charlie, what's up? Obi Toppin is awful. You're being too nice. He will go down as one of the worst draft choices in Nick history, along with Kevin Knox. He can't shoot. He's got no handle. He can't play defense. And he can't post up. Why? Taking him over Halliburton is the equivalent of taking Bagley over Doncic. No, I don't think Finally bad <laughs> and a waste. <laughs> I hear what you're saying, Charlie. Thanks for the phone call. I am not. I Doncic is Doncic is better than any of those players you mentioned. <laughs> it's not even close. And I know, I know what you're trying to say. It is early. I'm not ready to give up on Obi Toppin yet. Okay, I'm not ready to give up on Obi Toppin yet. I understand what you're saying about Knox, but this is Knox. What second, third year? So I get, I get where you are with Knox. <laughs> okay, I get that. I don't think Obi Obi Toppin can shoot. He shot in college. Okay, he can shoot. Halliburton is early. He looks as though he could be better. He's had a better season. There's no question. But look at the playing time he's getting. He's getting much more playing time than Obi Toppin's getting. And I don't know what Toppin would do with more playing time. That's the part. That's what we're the discussion we're having is what does he need to do, okay, in Tom Thibodeau's eyes to get some more playing time so that he can expand and show more of what he did. And once again, as I said, I understand the early time injury hurt him. I get it. I get it. But now I'm ready for him to make a move. I'm ready for him to show what he can do. And I think he will. I do. I think it's it's all the things I've mentioned. I broke it down for you. I know it's a confidence thing. I know that. I know he's looking to the bench a lot. I get that. But I just need him to come out there with the mindset of, okay, I'm going to show you what I can do. I don't want to get off the court. I want to keep playing. I don't want to stop getting off the court. And, you know, have not been around Tom Thibodeau uh, to the practices and whatnot, but, you know, most coaches that I've spoken with over the years, they they focus playing time, they calculate playing time on how people practice sometimes. And so I'm not at practice. I don't know. I don't know what he looks like at practice. I don't know what he's doing at practice. Okay? But... Um, sometimes that's what coaches do. So maybe there's something at practice that he's not doing. I don't know what it is, but I just believe that if they would allow him to get a couple more minutes and for him to do the best, make the most of the minutes that he's getting, okay, I would feel, I think you would see a little better from Obi Toppin. I do. But he's got to find a way to show Tom Thibodeau and that coaching staff that he deserves more minutes. 
And that's the, that's the issue here. It's like it, it's the old thing in, the, in sports, tie. It's, okay, what comes first? Do you give him more playing time and hope that he takes advantage of it, or do you give him less time and force him to be better so that you, he forces you to take him off the court. It's like, like, like I can't take him off the court. Like the situation with Quickly that Ralph mentioned. Okay, Quickly was turning the ball over, but Quickly going to the basket, finishing, hitting a couple of threes, that earned him more playing time. So what he did with the time that he got, he made the most of it so that because his plus minus is, is better, it's like, okay, I know that he's making mistakes, but his upside is so much better, I can't afford to take him off the court. Yeah, and and with Toppin, he he's been a net negative for a team that's trying to make the playoffs. So so Tibbs doesn't really have time and and the wiggle room uh, to to allow this guy to struggle, especially because every game is essentially a big game. So if if he's not playing, it, it's because like you said, he hasn't earned the right to play. And right now, you don't really have the opportunity to allow him to 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 see it through, because they're trying to get into the playoffs. They're, they're, they're trying to do that. This isn't a tanking situation mm-hmm. where you can afford to just throw guys out there and, and tell them to figure it out. You're, you're trying to make the playoffs. You are. And, and unfortunately for them, uh, as we said, they really don't have a lot of margin for error. <laughs> so they got to, you know, if, if they're, if they got to find scoring from someplace and they can't afford to give up some lapses on defense and then, you know, you got to come back because, you know, we don't score. So we desperately, desperately need to get some points in. And hopefully, like I said, he'll take, he'll understand that. And just all I need him to do, Ty and Mike, is very simple. I just need him to find a place offensively where he's comfortable mm-hmm. so that he could just, when, you, when he gets the ball, here's where I'm going. This is my spot. Quickly, I mean, I don't think Quickly's hit a bunch of uh, consecutive floaters in games <laughs> in weeks. But in the beginning, that's what he did. That was his move. Let me get to that was my favorite move. Get in the lane, do the floater. Good. Get in the lane, do the floater. And then people started to say, okay, let's keep him out of the lane. Then he went and made the adjustment and got a little bit more consistent from the three. That's what I need Toppin to do. Yeah. And it's so funny though, Larry, like to, to listen to the revisionist history that takes place with the Nick fans who are now saying they wish that they had drafted Halliburton as if it, on that night, I remember on Twitter and, and listening to you know the, the, the station, Nick fans wanted Obi Toppin. That mm-hmm. that was the guy that if he had dropped to you in the draft, where were they eighth? If he had dropped yep. to you there, you wanted him. It, it was a a home run. Many people called it the the steal of the draft. And now all of a sudden he's struggling uh, through thirty two games, and and you're saying you wish that they had drafted Halliburton. He's going to go down as one of the worst draft picks of all time. It's so funny to see how how quickly that changed. On a Nick team that has had some pretty bad drafts. Yes, <laughs> I mean, look at the roster: Kevin Knox, Frankly, Lakina. I mean, you know, you've got three first round picks, three highlighter, and which makes it so much more impressive what what Tom Thibodeau is doing. Mm-hmm. He's got three high end lottery picks on the team. And Knox, Nilakina, and Toppin, who are essentially giving you close to nothing, despite all of that, he still has them at 500, competing for a playoff spot. It's amazing. He, he you know, he he's he, speaking of awards, he's got to be up there for Coach of the Year. Yep. He, he won't get it, but he's got to be up there. Quinn Schneider's going to win it. Yep. Because of what Utah's doing, despite mm-hmm. not having a top 17, top 20 player on their team. Yep. 
Um, but Tibbs, he, he should definitely be second or third on that list. There's no doubt about that. No doubt about it. You are listening to Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Chatting with you and uh, getting your thoughts. We've had a lot of conversation uh, since we hit the air at noon, talking a little NCAA tournament. And uh, you know what? Loyola Chicago is still in the lead. Illinois, uh, getting a little tight over there in Illinois, that sideline. Getting a little tight. Stress. You know, the pressure. Oh, it's getting close. It's getting close. We'll see what happens. We'll keep you updated with that. We've got a hoop scoreboard update for you at the bottom of the hour. And we'll see what's going on with the Women's College Tournament because that kicks off today as well. We just were uh, joined not long ago by Chris Canty, who uh, had some interesting conversation about what the Giants and Jets should do and some of the moves that they would have. And I know a number of you had called about the Giants and asked about uh, what they should do in the draft. And, and once again, Chris is you know, talking about that, that defense and a pass rusher. And everybody wants a pass rusher. Okay, he, the National Football League, I'll get to the calls in a minute. Everybody in the National Football League wants one of three things. A great quarterback, a great pass rusher, and a great corner. <laughs> and then you throw in receiver and running back and so on and so forth. Offensive line, because you know how I feel. The game is won in the trenches. I don't care what you do. I don't care what offense you run. It's not going anywhere if you don't have the horses in the trenches. And defensively, you're not stopping anybody unless you have power in the trenches and flexibility, the ability to stop the run, but also the ability to pressure the passer. And with what offenses are able and allowed to do today, four wides and all this other kind of stuff, you have to be able to pressure the quarterback without the benefit of a pass rush. If you're going to be successful, that's what you have to do. Look at what Tampa Bay was able to do to Kansas City. Yeah, we know about Kansas City's problems on the offensive line. We got it. We saw it. We shook our heads. (laughs) But once again, their ability to pressure the passer without the benefit of sending the blitz is really nice. And that's what separates really good defenses from, from that's what separates elite defenses from really, really good defenses. All right? So we'll see what happens. 1-800-919-3776. Give me King Born in Brooklyn. Hey, KB, you're next on 98.7. Hello? Okay, goodbye. Ira's in Staten Island. Hey, Ira, you're next on 98.7. Hey, what's happening, Larry? Hey, Ira, how are you? Oh, all good, all good. You know, Chris has such great insight when it comes to the NFL. You know, I love listening to his show, DCR, and anytime he pops on with any of the other hosts, it's always good to listen to him. You know, it's really amazing when you look at the Jets, how Douglas approached free agency. Um, I, I think he did a pretty good job. Um, I like Lawson. I like Corey Davis. Um, I think he, the special teams, Hardy from the Saints, I, I get that. The rest, okay, you know, he, he filled in spots. I mean, and, and this roster needed a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, can you say he could have addressed the offensive line? I'm not going to kill him for not, you know, losing out in 30. That contract got a little out of hand. Yeah. But when you look at the situation with quarterback, and that, that's been the topic. We only got five more weeks, thank God, to talk about this. <laughs> I look at it where I'm starting to get an uneasy feeling that Joe Douglas, because he, he still has to address cornerback. He still could address the defensive line. The linebacker depth chart, is, they need linebackers. You can make an argument of the offensive line and a running back. 
And I'm getting an uneasy feeling that he's going to say, you know what? I could get about four picks if I trade down from two to seven, eight, or whatever it might be, all mm-hmm. right? And I could fill in my roster, and I could worry about my quarterback next year. And as much as I respect him and everything, I, I just would differ in the decision because you don't pick number two too often, whether you right. want to go with Zach Wilson, whether you want to go with Fields or Lance. Um, it depends who you, who you fall in love with, if you fall in love with any of them. But that's your opportunity to get a quarterback. Because I'll ask you, let me ask you a question, Larry. Sam, he was ranked 30, 31st, 32nd, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. If he has a drastic improvement in his play, and I think he could, he's capable of playing better, where do you put him? Do you put him in the middle of the pack? Maybe. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> if, he get, if, I, if he gets to the middle of the pack, if he gets to, say, 15, all right, how many teams with the 15th-ranked quarterback consistently goes to playoffs or wins or wins the Super Bowl? They don't. They you don't. just answered my question. They don't. Well, what if he does this, Ira? And that's an interesting point. What if he does this? What if he takes the second, drop down, remains, let's say, in the top 10, and takes uh, Trey Lance or takes uh, Justin Fields or somebody that's dropped maybe a second, not what we're taking of the top three, whatever the top three is going to be by the time we get to the draft. But maybe he does the same thing, uh, but just moves down to get some more and still be able to go for a quarterback in the, in, in the first round. I, I wouldn't have an issue with that because he knows much more football than I do, and I have to trust him mm-hmm. as long as they grab the quarterback. Gotcha. Because I, like Chris said, I, I just, you know, rolling it back with, with Sam with all due respect, I, I, I just, I, I just don't see it, man. I, I, I just think I wish him well. I, I want him to win the Super Bowl. I just don't think it's going to happen with the Jets. No, I don't. Don't I? Don't think so either. And the pressure also. And, and look, Ira, you've been to a ton of games. Can you imagine him being out there in the first, the first pick he throws? No, no. Well, do you remember? Do you remember the Cortland days when Sanchez yes. got booed in the scrimmage? Yes, I do. And so, I mean, can't you see that? I mean, they're down thirteen-three week one, and he has a pick. What do you mm-hmm. think is going to happen when they run off the field at halftime? Oh, they're going to kill him. They're going to kill him. Right. They're going to boo him. Right. And and you know, but but I think it's it's and and obviously we're not saying that that's what that's the decision that that's the barometer that Joe Douglas should use as a decision. But the real thing is going to be it's Ira. It comes down to money, my friend. It usually does in all sports. And the bottom line is, even as the example you gave, even if he moves up to middle of the pack, is middle of the pack. Are you ready to say twenty five million guaranteed, and then we move on? You're our franchise guy for the next what three, four, five years. Is he going to prove that to you in one year? It just makes more financial sense for you to reset the clock at the quarterback position. Uh-huh. A hundred percent, and that's why I hope you know Joe Douglas and the rest of his executives over there. I hope that's the direction they go, and uh, let's keep our fingers crossed that I don't have this uneasy feeling leading up to the draft a couple of days before. I hear you, Ira. Good talking to you as always, my friend. One eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. I mean, once again, it's resetting the clock, but it's but it's also giving you the opportunity, as Mark mentioned before the the update to bring the team together with, with, with young players to reset that, that barometer. And what is, what is so interesting is we've gotten away, and of course there are examples still, but for the most part, depending on what the team who drafts the number one quarterback has, okay, uh, in Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence is going to play. 
Okay? You're not in a situation where you're, you happen to have, you're not, very few teams are like Miami, right? Where they have a, a winning record, okay? But because of a draft situation, they're drafting third. So right now, they don't have to, they could draft, not that they would, but in that scenario like that, you could then trade down or you could draft a quarterback in there because you've got to start and not play him for another year or two. And he could sit back and learn and take your time and, you know, just sit back and just just have the the, the, the baseball cap turned to the back and get the clipboard and just understanding and learning and, and just absorbing it all in and then having the opportunity. And what you're starting to see are more and more teams doing kind of what the Giants did with Eli Manning some years ago uh, where and, and similar to what uh, Miami did last year where you start your veteran quarterback and then at some point in time during the season you make that switch to the younger quarterback because of what Chris Canty mentioned, because of the adjustments you have to make, because of the speed of the game, because of reading, of, of reading defenses and the challenges in doing that, because of all the different things that the NBA offers, uh, the NFL offers. All right, these are the things why it's really tough on young quarterbacks. So if you have a veteran, okay, that would help you out. Uh, I don't know what the Jets are going to do as far as Flacco's concerned. You know, I, I mean, you know, he played pretty good in the two games he had. Uh, but when you think about it, he really loved Bashar Perryman, who he had a, a chemistry and relationship with from their days in Baltimore. So he, they were on the same page, and they just ran some of the stuff that they ran when they were with the Ravens, and it worked well. You know, Perryman's not here anymore. So, uh, you know, I don't know what they'll do with the backup quarterback, but I, I tell you, I think they re- and I understand the, the the temptation of having the number two pick and knowing that you need to plenty more to to get your team where you want them to be, and you could do that by trading down and getting a bunch of different draft picks. I get that. That is the utmost temptation. But here's the other side of that. Unless you're in a situation like Miami's in, okay. Hopefully you will never be in a spot where you are able to draft the number two quarterback again because of your record. Hopefully you are never in that position again. So while you are there, take the quarterback. While you're there, get the number, get the best quarterback available that fits what you want to do in your offensive scheme. Reset the clock and just move on from there new head coach it's the coach the coach the general manager and the quarterback are all on the same page and finally it will be a situation where everybody's working together so it would be joe douglas and robert salas quarterback and not just you know the situation that was before where it was you know idzik's idzik's quarterback and not his coach and all this other confusion that has happened previously. You are listening to Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN.